Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Mio, CEO of the Experience Agency, D-Flash. Each episode, I bring in a different business leader who's doing some game-changing work, and this episode is no different. I'm super excited to have Kesu, who's the global director of the Instagram Creative Shop. It's going to be a fantastic conversation because I love all things Instagram, and we're going to talk about her career, how she got there, and some interesting things she's working on. It's going to be a great conversation. Take a listen. Hey, Kay. Hi, how are you? I know, hanging out in the tin can and lockdown. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? Me too. Really? No way. <laughs> it's a fun place to be. Um, my apartment for the 7,000th day. It's what day is it? I don't even know. <laughs> but even though we're in uh, this unique and unusual set of times, the podcast doesn't change. The first question always remains the same. So, Kay, what was your first job? Okay, my very first job, I was in sixth grade. I don't even know if it was kosher, but I did grow up in Toronto and I had a job at what we call CNE, which is the Canadian National Exhibition. It's a really big fair that we have every summer and it just happens once a year during the summer in I think the uh, month of August. So I sold bags. Um, I sold bags at a little, like um, they have a little auditorium where they just have a lot of vendors. Uh, with independent stuff to sell. So it wasn't just apparel or accessories, but you could buy food as well. So it was kind of like a really big uh, fair, if you will. Mix of food, mix of bags. I definitely sold bags for two summers. And I was- What bags? I mean, they weren't any, they were just bags, I think that the owners purchased, you know, around the world for pretty cheap and probably sold it at a markup. But there was no brand, they were leather bags. Um, I got paid $5 an hour. Um, again, I was 12, but I did get paid in cash. What? You were 12? Why were you doing this at 12? Yeah, I think, you know what? I'm actually surprised. I think we got, my parents knew a friend of a friend who was operating the stall. And they, I think they were just looking for people to help look and to make sure that, I guess, the bags weren't being stolen. <laughs> but, you know, there's a history of theft there. And then, you Makes know. Sense. It's not yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a stall that was quite large, actually. It was a sizable size, and they had bags hanging along all of the racks. And so I think they were always pretty paranoid and cautious that people would be stealing these no-name bags, um, these shoddily designed bags. <laughs> but that's what I did. I did it with my best friend at the time, and we worked there for two summers in a row until we were 13. I think 14 was the year we, we stopped doing it. because We're like, we're done with this. And yeah. you learn, so obviously you learn customer service and how to deal with people and negotiate and haggle because I'm sure people are like, how much does this cost? I want for less. Yep. I learned a little bit of that, but surprisingly, I think this is probably something that's true for the rest of my career. But the thing I learned is how to deal with bosses. So I think that was my first foray into managing up. Um, <laughs> At you, guys, you know, the guy who owned the stall was a very curmudgeonly owner. Um, he had very distinctive ideas. He was very, very strict and very like um, rigid in the way he operated the stall. So I think that was my first, if I really think back to what I learned, certainly like a little bit of the customer service. I'm terrible at haggling, so I always give in because um, I never want to lose a sale. But I think I learned how to manage, you know, a more difficult personnel or a different style of management. Ah, which always comes in super handy throughout anyone's career because personalities are always special. <laughs> that's, that's a great way to put it, special. special. Well, you know, 
<laughs> so, okay, so how do you go from selling on um, no-name bags at, in, in Toronto to being in New York and Instagram? What was that journey like? Oh my God, it was a very long journey. It's a pretty convoluted journey, to be honest with you. Um, after that, you know, I had another really great job, part-time job, um, selling burgers. I worked at a burger joint and I actually assembled the burgers for a long time. Um, and then, I, you know, I got promoted to helping them run their stall in a mall. Um, so I got promoted pretty quickly and I think I worked there for two years, I would say. But after that, my parents really got into politics. Um, they went to a liberal fundraiser. Um, I forgot why, but, you know, they got an invitation. They went met someone who was the governor general of Canada at the time. Her name was Adrian Clarkson, and she was um, Canadian Chinese. Um, and she had said to my parents, hey, you know, you should really get your, parent, your kids involved in politics because there's not enough women in politics. There's not enough, like, women of color in politics. So my parents got really inspired by this, and they really shaped the rest of my career going forward. Um, but essentially, they came back and said, like, hey, you know, we think that you should get involved in politics, which is very unusual for, for Chinese parents. <laughs> um, get involved in politics. You know, we found you an internship with a municipal counselor. Like, go learn about, you know, local politics. So I actually volunteered for a counselor, a municipal counselor, for a long time. She ended up running for federal election. Um, I helped her run the election because this is, God, this is like, honestly, like 20-something years ago uh, when people were just learning how to use databases um, to, you know, basically yeah. manual inputting of like, all oh, the information. Right. And then trying to forecast um, whether or not, you know, like forecast uh, how much votes we would get in a particular area. She ended up winning. Long story short, I ended up in politics. Um, she gave me a job right as I got out of university. I worked for her um, as a paid employee, as her legislative assistant, helped her do all her communications for a couple of years and got out of there because um, I loved it. But I think when you're too young, politics may not be um, necessarily like Healthy, <laughs> healthy, healthy, understandable. Yeah, health, healthy for your state of mind um, may not be the best place to learn um, things, um, or you know. So it was really difficult. So I moved out of that. Worked for my parents for a little bit. Um, my dad ended up moving back to Hong Kong. He's originally from Hong Kong, and he was retired at that point. So I took the leap and moved there with him because there just wasn't as many jobs available in Toronto at the time, which is kind of like a weirder time, you know. Canada's a much smaller population than the United States, so not a lot of like multinational, um, multinational headquarters that are there. So I think the work, um, the employment was just, the opportunity just wasn't there. So I moved to Hong Kong, you know, did as everybody does, you know, opened a t-shirt shop or tried to launch a t-shirt. <laughs> I have heard this so many about, times. Yes, I honestly, I don't know anybody who's ever worked at an agency that has never tried owning a t-shirt shop because it just is like the easiest thing to do and the most creative thing to do. Um, so I owned one with my best friend. It was called um, Liberation Army. So we realized, again, we were in Hong Kong. We're like, oh, okay, we could never sell this to China because the name Liberation Army. So we changed to Daughters of Liberation. So proud of it. Didn't really go anywhere, but we had, um, and she really had a trim business um, that we ended up doing so trading trim so a lot of hodgepodge stuff but in the meantime i was really figuring out what i wanted to do and a lot of friends in advertising a lot of friends that were strategic planners and they described what they did you know they worked at really big agencies like mccann erickson and leo i was like you know what that's what i want to do you know <laughs> i don't want to be a small business owner because it's not happening i don't know we don't have investment to do this 
like I want to get into to, um, advertising. And that really was the moment where all of my effort and resources went into getting into advertising. You know, I went to do my master's um, in uh, communications with a, a focus on advertising and PR. And then I said, I'm moving to New York. Really? <laughs> I'm going yeah. to do it. Yeah. And I moved to New York. You know, I started, got it started in advertising, you know, made my way there. And then one day, you know, I applied for a job at Facebook. And I think the rest, rest is there. But that was a long, long winded way of saying, hopefully, that not every career is well planned. A lot of times, I think it was my attitude that led me to a really good place, as in like I was very open um, and very curious and very thirsty to learn new things. But it's really funny because I think there's always a desire to tell your career in, in really big chapters that make sense, but sometimes it doesn't. And mine, certainly, my career path has never been very straightforward. It's taken me all over the place. I just happened to, like, I think at the, in this career, found what I really, really love, which is like, I still love advertising. I like trying to sell things to people, persuade people. I love planning. I love understanding things about people and how, what makes them tick. I like understanding culture. Uh, and all of this, again, hopefully, um, and thankfully, it's a skill that you know, Instagram values. And so that's what really got me to where I am. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's, that's a phenomenal story. And so from um, selling bags to politics to a t-shirt business to Instagram. Yeah. It's a one plus two plus three plus four equals six. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody should just follow that path. And follow that path. Also start in Toronto and then you'll be good to go. Like these are the ways it works. Well, no, that's, you know, honestly, that's really why I did this show. Because I think folks oftentimes see folks, well, they have this huge, awesome job. And it was obviously predestined. It's like, well, first of all, was there an Instagram 10 years ago? No. <laughs> um, but more importantly, you know, you find your way. You take the opportunities. You, you know, no one is an overnight success. What it, what it takes you to get to where you may be is a matter of right place, right time, right skills. Because that's what it comes down to. Uh, Absolutely. I think also, I think what people understate is the opportunities that, that have been given, right? And I've certainly been very privileged because I've had lots of people, I think, mentor me and give me opportunities. Um, so where I think women and women of color struggle is that we're not often offered opportunities because we're, we have to dim, we have to show not just potential, but that we have the skill set. I've been very lucky because a lot of people that have mentored me, given me those opportunities, gave it to me with that leap of faith. And, you know, I was able to grow in that space. So having said like that, like how bumpy it was, like, I cannot understate how helpful it was to have like these really specific people that have been so fundamental in my career development, all because it started with them being open to give me a chance to prove myself. Uh, and there's been a lot of those people in my life. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is that, you know, it's what I, you know, I'm, I'm helping build this course for college students as they get out of school. Like, how do I even network and connect them? Like, well, you have champions. You just have to find them. And, yeah. what, and then what they're going to put the sticker neck up for you, you've got to do the work. And I think that's the thing is that like, similarly, like, I've had so many really interesting opportunities because folks took a chance on me and I showed up and I showed out. And I, I think that's the thing. It's like when you get those opportunities, not to squander them or not to assume it's going to lead you into one specific place. It might take you in the other really beautiful places yeah. that you never expected. Like, 
me working for an entrepreneur when I first got out of college and the fashion industry would lead to me owning my own business that we create experiences for 15 years later. Yeah. There, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way. But it, that's what happened. And, you know, I took a leap on a job that I would, because someone believed in what I want, what I could do, wasn't what I had gone to college for. And, you know, and I rocked it and then learned what was happening in that industry and then just like rode that wave. And I think, you know, you know, as we look at our careers now, we're like, yeah, it's pretty damn awesome. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It's all about like the curiosity, taking the opportunity, finding a champion. That's like really, really, I think the, the keys to success. So what are you doing these days on Instagram? What's some fun stuff happening there? Oh my God, so many fun things. Um, well, I think we're right now as a whole company, not just Instagram, but as Facebook Inc., we're all uh, trying to uh, shift our resources um, to invest in building things that are going to help, um, I think, people and businesses through this situation. So definitely on the consumer side, thinking about like our products, how to make sure they're really stable. I think, you know, me and you laughed a lot about, you know, Instagram and how much time people are spending there. And, you know, we just want to make sure we can keep the lights on because, you know, the use and the volume of use is gone up quite a bit while people are sheltered in place um, and they have a little bit more free time and need a little bit of escapism. So we're definitely trying to keep the lights on there. Um, I think from the business side, really looking at ways that we can support um, small and medium-sized businesses and also some of our big clients as well. Like some of them are really going through a lot of struggles. So finding ways that we can plug in and support them to help their business um, uh, work through COVID and also like not even work, but also like what, how, how we can figure out really how we can support them coming out of COVID too, because there's going to be a lot of like recovery and reemergence of, you know, a lot of businesses, but we are really, really focused on small and medium sized businesses. We know they're just hit hard in a very different way. Um, so yeah, a lot of efforts are focused on there and there's a lot of pieces that go with it, but th those are the two things I think the company is really focused on. Cool. And you know, I think it's, it's important because I think, you know, as a small business owner who's on Instagram and like, you know, the ease of use of tools is, 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 is important because, and the idea that I can do an Instagram live with a client and we can have a dialogue, like even some stuff like that. Like, I think if you told me six months ago, will I do that? I'm like, no, but like now I'm like, yeah, if I can get one of my clients or my partners to come and we'll do like a, a, a live conversation, why wouldn't we do this? And I think, you know, you know, everyone's kind of like zoomed out at this point. And so when you can find more ways to sort of kind of what I call the sort of serendipitous just fun where it's just like this is you know this obviously we talked about Teddy Riley and Babyface and how like that was just quirky and fun but like regular folks just having those one uh, those one-on-one -on -one dialogues and like a, a thought pops into your mind because again you're not feeling like I'm stuck in those like squares I'm just like, having a conversation and you're vibing with someone that can lead to a lot of different fun things that can happen for a brand and make them uh, you know appear much more personal and much more fun and much more in touch with what's happening right now. Absolutely. So you've had a really awesome career, but I'm guessing that it wasn't always easy. Can you tell me about a time that you had a really interesting challenge and how you found your way through? Yeah, I think I've certainly had um, a lot of challenges. Um, I think it's really interesting. I think we spoke a little bit about my background and being born and raised Canadian, very proud Canadian. I think it's really interesting, I think, coming to the United States and working here now for 15 years. Um, I, I didn't really fully understand um, sort of like how I would, how I look 
would really determine how people interact with me and how I look by meaning, you know, I'm Asian um, and I'm a woman. And so I've definitely found those challenges in work. Um, I've certainly been called things that were really inappropriate um, in agency setting. Uh, I've been mistaken for other women. Um, I have been, I'm sure even in the short time we've known each other, no one would ever uh, probably characterize me as quiet, but I've definitely been called quiet. Um, and then I kind of stuffed into a box. So that was all often a challenge because if people didn't recognize you physically, how could they recognize the value that you bring to the work? And so that was a huge challenge. It's not that I had to find my voice. I'm pretty confident my voice was there, but making sure that my voice was heard. Um, and that has been, I think, a challenge that you know, that I think comes again a little bit with baggage of being Asian and dealing with the stereotypes of, you know, being quiet or complacent or a workhorse and not necessarily, again, there's a lot of stereotypes against, you know, against Asians being leaders, you know, especially in corporate America. So I, I definitely feel like there's been challenges there that I've, you know, tried to work through and I don't know the perfect answer because I'm still working through them. But it's interesting also coming from my orientation where, again, I don't think I have a lot of, um, I don't have the same historical legacy experiences that make up a lot of the Asian American experience. I have my very unique experience and I'm stepping into this framework and trying to work my way through it and kind of, you know, make sure again, like I can make my voice heard, but also I can help other women and women of color make sure that like their voices are heard. It's a, just a collective challenge um, that I feel individually, but I feel like it's a collective challenge um, that a lot of women are facing. Yeah, no, it's it's true because I think, you know, people tr take stereotypes and assume that oh, you must fit in this box and I get I get the same thing. And it's like, well, no, first of all, wasn't born here either. <laughs> a different a different experience and kind of similarly like your you know, your Asian your Asian American experience is similar to the Black American experience. Like it's a different one for me. Like I it just is different. Not one is better or worse, it's just different. And as a result, you may view things differently. You may come at things from a different perspective because that wasn't what you saw as a kid that wasn't what you experienced as a teenager and as a result the biases or traumas that you may some other folks may have you don't have because you're like it wasn't for me it wasn't it wasn't my experience but it doesn't mean I don't empathize or can understand as to why this is an issue and it's on us to sort of you know, take that and be like listen there are there are ways we can move this forward and also want to stand up for other folks because you know i have a degree of privilege that allows me to maybe walk in different rooms than other folks can mm -hmm. absolutely definitely and so like as we're in this kind of really weird funky time of COVID, what would you thinking back about now what would you tell 25 year old Kay? oh my god <laughs> i think well, I laugh. Someone asked me what's my quarantine song, and this is extremely out of character. <laughs> it's Patience by Guns N' Roses. Wow. I would say to have patience. I will say, you know, I had it up and down with Guns N' Roses. So I'm not really sure. I mean, obviously, <laughs> they're classic, but I did see them once in the desert in Dubai for some random reason. Um, so I did see them, renewed a little bit of interest, but it was really Nora Jones had covered them, I think a couple of weeks ago, and it was such a heartfelt rendition that I'm like, wow. Really? Is, yes, I'll, I'll have to send it to you. It's such a beautiful rendition of her singing Patience. Nora Jones. Yeah, I know, Nora Jones, all people. But I, I really, I, I think that's the thing, is patience. You know, when I was 25, I was 
you know, extremely impatient to make an impact, to do big things. And, you know, I was very frustrated that it wasn't happening. Um, but I definitely, I would tell myself to have a lot more patience um, and to also take a lot more risk. No, I think I took a lot of risks in my career, but I would encourage myself to take even more risks because there are some things that, you know, I wished I used like that youth and energy that I no longer have, you know? <laughs> I don't think I had 17 years ago, 17 years later, no energy, but 17 years before I had a lot more energy. I kind of almost even wish that, you know, the side hustle, you know, that I wanted to have, like I really put more energy towards that and maybe it would be more further along. Yeah, it, I think patience is key. And I, I, I think, you know, especially now you think, oh, everything's going to be solved by the time you're 25 or the time you're 30. And you're like, or, and you, or you haven't achieved enough. If you, you haven't done all of it, you haven't sold your story to Netflix and like, you know, gotten a, a million followers on Instagram um, and, you know, had Beyonce retweet you, then, you know, you're not living. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no. Like it's, it's a, there is no overnight success. It takes time, and even if you see folks who are doing really well, behind the scenes they've been working for years at that. Like there is there there is there is no shortcut to to success outside of you. I don't know winning the lottery. Like it's not gonna happen. Um, and I think that's the thing that you know. I hope during this time of COVID, folks are seeing it. Like like Instagram. Are you guys ten years old now? Yeah. Yeah. So like, I remember when Instagram first started it and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And if you had told me that like 10 years later, oh, we're in the middle of a quarantine, but I can go and watch, you know, T-Pain and Lil Jon you know, go shot for shot on music and then have a million people watch Babyface and Teddy Riley just like go at it and tell stories and, you know, and make jokes and it becomes the land of a thousand memes no one would have predicted that you never know where things are gonna go but you gotta take a step forward you gotta keep moving and not assume that it'll just be oh my gosh it'll be the exact same thing it's gonna be slow like, no it's yeah. just a process yeah i mean who would have thought fat joe was gonna become oprah you know what i mean like that is wild i i am still floored by how i'm like fat joe yeah. Oh, and then, and then, and then Dejan Khaled looks like a mountain man. Like he's just like with a giant beard. <laughs> he's just like it, it's it's it's. I think you know, you know. Someone was saying that like I think um, the reason why this all had to happen was that Mother Nature knew we needed. We all needed a break, mm -hmm. and so that's why you know we're all at home now and having this moment to sort of reflect and slow down because we were all moving so very fast because we thought we had to get so many other places and it turns out we kind of had to just like chill for a little bit so we'll figure it out in some way shape or form i hope i hope <laughs> choice <laughs> oh yeah well that's the thing we literally have no choice so in this time of like hanging out and being in new york what are you doing for self-care um you know what I'm sleeping and I'm giving myself a little slack because I did, I admit, I'm a little bit basic. I felt a little bit of pressure at first. I did think like, oh God, I have to do something with my, all this extra time, which actually didn't end up being extra, but I was like, oh God, I should learn something. I should do something. Um, and I had been at the very beginning really focused on the um, like senior community within the Asian community. A lot of them are displaced and um, aren't getting food. So I focused a lot of effort in there and then I felt a little bit bad about not dedicating stuff to like learning something, again, super basic. 
Um, but I've given myself, I think, permission to be kinder and to rest a little bit more. So sleep is my de definite, definite um, thing for self-care, um, allowing myself, especially on the weekends, to sleep to whatever time I want to and not feel guilty about it has been, I think, the best way for just for me to recuperate after like all this, like the outside stress and, you know, the inside stress and all the dishes. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and all the dishes and all the laundry. <laughs> Sleeping is like the best thing ever. And then also, I mean, again, it's a little bit basic, but indulging in a lot of like bad TV has definitely <laughs> been self-care. Oh, as you should. I mean, this is the thing. You have to, you have to do this. You have to like, just think of it as like, you are permission to watch whatever trashy foolishness you want. Like I've caught up on shots of sunset. I've caught up on all the housewives. <laughs> and it's fine. Totally fine. Like not going to complain. Uh, but you also give yourself a break. I think sometimes folks are, are feeling like they have to get all this stuff done. That's what I'm saying. Like just chill. Like there are, there isn't a answer to this. So all we can do is just, you know, try and be as kind to ourselves as possible during this woefully weird time. <laughs> like it's just weird. So you're good. So I'm, I'm glad you're getting some good sleep. Yeah, definitely. Getting more than a good enough sleep. Sometimes my husband asked me if I moved for the whole day. He'll look at me and like, have you even moved? Six, and then he'll look at my phone, 16 steps. Very interesting. I'm like, <laughs> Like, you can go to the restroom? Like, probably not. It's probably from me moving my phone up and down. Up and down. Up and down. No, it's like funny. Like, you know, I, I've tried to do like little walks down downtown on the, on the weekend. So I like walked into Soho uh, uh, and it was weird because it was Saturday in Soho and it was empty. Uh, and then I walked to Spring Street and I saw that Dominique Ansel was open. And I'm like, wait, I can get pastries? So <laughs> there was a line, but it wasn't that bad. And then I was able to get like chocolate croissants. And I'm like, you know, there are some good things about <laughs> being empty in Manhattan. Like I can get amazing chocolate croissants. So whatever you got to do, just do. We, we, be good to yourself here. Eat all the snacks, watch all the bad TV. Where are so, all the snacks? Oh, yes. Well, I, I, I keep looking at your background going, I want a Big Mac so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so as part of the podcast, um, we uh, have a section of where we have a give or an ask. So, Kay, what would be your give and or ask to the audience? My give? I think it's the same thing. I think I would give patience, um, patience and trust. I know this sounds like weird, but I feel like I could give you like a little beast that like people can have beside them and patience that things will get better because I don't think there's anywhere but up to go. Um, and I think I would give them like faith. I think that things will turn out. I think again, you know, I'm in a very privileged state. I think there's certainly a lot of people who are undergoing really severe traumas. I don't want to trivialize that. Um, but I think the most important thing is like faith, even if it's like an organized faith or not, but having faith that, you know, things will be as they will be. And it's not even a trite saying, but I think knowing that sometimes we can relinquish control um, and then being okay with the things things are and kind of accept it um, and have patience with it, I think is the, the biggest gift I can give to people. Um, and it's really weird. It's a gift, but it's also an ask. It's also like to be patient, to be generous, you know, to ask everybody to be generous with the people around you, show kindness in small ways. If it's your coworker who's struggling, your neighbor, 
I think that's the most important thing to bring us all through this. Cause you know, if we don't even have a little ounce of kindness during a time where it's so stressful, we can't like deal with the bigger problems that will come with this. So I think if anything we can do to be kind to each other is probably an ask I would have for everybody else. Awesome. That's so, that's so beautiful. And, and, and so, and so true. And, and, and ugh, wonderful. Thanks, Kay. I love that. Um, that is a wonderful way to uh, end the podcast. And, you know, Kay, it was such a delight to have you on the show. You've just got buckets of good wisdom and experiences. And thank you so very much. Thank you very much, Laura. This is awesome. And that is our show. <laughs>